Welcome to Christian Renewal Church Sunday Sermon. Thanks for tuning into our series, Christocentric, based out of our study on the book of Philippians. For more information about this sermon and other resources, please visit christianrenewalhhi.org. This morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Lord, we dedicate this time to you as we look at your scriptures and we ask that you would be in the, in the midst of it. We ask that you would speak. Lord, we believe this word to be holy, infallible, inspired. We ask that you would, through this word, speak directly to us. We don't come this morning to hear a sermon. We, we came to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You speak, God. Guard my lips, Lord, the things that I say that aren't from your throne, from your heart. I pray that they would pass in one ear and out the other. But the truth from the text, God, we pray would would change us, would transform our lives, would help us in Jesus' name to love Jesus better. Holy Spirit, that's our deepest cry this morning. Help us to love Jesus better. It's in your precious name that we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. David uh, Livingstone is that famous missionary to, to Africa, to the continent of Africa. He was all over that thing. Um, he was a Scottish uh, missionary born in the year 1813. His father used to sit him on his knee and read him stories of the great missionaries of old. And he was fascinated uh, with these stories of the missionaries. He went to medical school intending to be a medical missionary to China. There were some political upheaval in China at the time, which which hindered him from heading to China. At a, at a young age, he prayed this prayer. He said, God, send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever any tie in my heart except the tie that binds my heart to yours. Send me anywhere, just go with me. Lay any burden on me, just sustain me. Cut anything off of me that does not bind me to you. Because of the political issues in China, he set his heart towards Africa and he arrived at Cape Town at the age of 27 to begin his missionary career. He traveled back and forth across the the entire continent um, doing expeditions and preaching the gospel to as many regions as he could, planning these kind of missionary stations. His wife Mary was the daughter of a great missionary who um, who influenced Livingston and, and, and kind of mentored him at times. Um, and Mary would travel with um, David for a while, but eventually um, they they lost some children due to sickness, disease. Um, Mary and the kids couldn't keep up, and so David sent Mary home um, to to raise the kids. And he said, "I'll see you soon." And they wrote back and forth um, for quite some time, and um, he didn't see her for five years. For five years, um, she was in Europe, and he was in. Africa, and they were writing each other. You know, letters take a long time to go back and forth at that time. And for five years, he didn't see his wife, but they really loved each other. And and there's this particular story from his life that I'm trying to get to. Um, he walked into the room after five years of not seeing his wife. He walked into the room, um, and his biographies say that that Mary didn't recognize David at all. It said that as David was on a 
expedition heading to preach to um, a, a new village that he walked into a branch and the branch caused him to go completely blind in one eye and marred the other eye. <clears throat> Early in his missionary career, he was uh, he had a mission statement in a in a in a in a village and he went out with with some others to try to protect this this city from um, some lions that were coming and he brought his gun and he fired a shot into a lion and the lion came and grabbed him on the shoulder in his words the lion picked him up like a like a terrier picks up a rat and it shook him and threw him and um, his 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 shoulder was greatly de- deformed and they tried to reset it but they didn't reset it right and so it was a bit deformed and when he would die later that's actually how they identified his body was from the the kind of deformation of his his kind of collarbone and his shoulder here and when he saw his wife he had been in the he's a scottish man who's living in africa you can imagine and and they got sunscreen you can imagine that his skin is leathered and tired and burnt and he had a bit of a limp at this point so he's limping he's blind he's got scars and he's got a deformed shoulder and he's still a rather young man he comes into the room and his wife says it's hard to recognize him he was so beat up from the work he had been doing he on in this break he actually came home because his father died he missed his dad just by a couple hours um one biography said that he would have loved to share those missionary stories of his own with his dad that his dad used to read to him but he missed his dad by a couple hours um and 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 while he was uh back in europe he would go and preach he was uh in london would go and preach and he was preaching at um at different colleges and universities, and they said that when he would step up to preach, again, a rather young man, he was probably in his 40s, when he would get up to preach, all the college students would stand and give him a round of applause as this humble, burnt, leathered man came to speak. They would stand and give him standing ovations because they knew they were in the greatness of a man who really paid prices to know Jesus. He only stayed in in, in London for a short time, and eventually he went back um, to to. Africa, he, again, he was all over the whole continent, um, to do missions, and he left Mary again. And um, she said, you know, as the, as the kids get a little older, I'll come and meet you again, and we'll serve the Lord together. And she came eventually um, to be with him, and she contracted a disease on the first day that she landed in Africa, and she died just a few days later. Um, and David Livingstone really didn't didn't lose a beat. He prayed on his knees that day at her funeral. There's documents of him praying and rededicating his life to the Lord and saying, Lord, I still belong to you. I'll still serve you. There's this this piece of a, um, a lecture he was giving at Cambridge in between his missionary journeys after he'd come back from Africa. Um, just a little piece of a lecture I wanted to read to you. And imagine again this kind of broken, leathered, deformed man hobbling to preach and um, all these college students standing to give him a round of applause to honor him for the sacrifices that he had paid to share the gospel. And this is what he said. This was kind of his closing to a lecture at Cambridge. He says this, For my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice... I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward and helpful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view, 
and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger now and then with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But only for a moment. He says, all these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I never made a sacrifice. Imagine this beaten, sunburnt young man standing up and everyone's in awe of his life and all of his, um, the, the prices that he paid standing up and saying, I never made a sacrifice. In comparison to the joy that I have in Jesus and the glory that will be revealed to me on the last day and the joy I have in serving my God, I've never made a sacrifice. It was all joy and pleasure to really know Jesus and to preach his gospel and serve people. I never made a sacrifice. He says the anxiety, the sickness, the suffering, the danger. There were nights in which he knew that there were villagers who were out to kill him and his companions. And he said, I was nervous, but I remember the words of Jesus when he says, lo, I'm with you always until the end of the age. He said, I, 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 even in that, even in the anxiety of knowing that there were some out to kill me, I never made a sacrifice. Limping man. Come to the pulpit. I never made a sacrifice. And as we approach Philippians chapter 3 today, Paul will say, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I count all things as rubbish, everything as loss. That word rubbish there has a wide range of semantic meanings. It's a lot like the word waste in English. Sometimes rubbish, the the Greek word for rubbish in, in Greek, sometimes we have it in other writings meaning trash, like referring to house trash. Sometimes that word rubbish describes table scraps, leftover food that you throw out. And sometimes that rubbish um, that, that word describes human waste, which calls the King James to translate it as dung. Paul says in the, in the King James, it translates, I count all things as dung in order that I may gain Christ. The very things that Paul says I lost, we'll read this morning, are the very things that he once was immensely proud of. The very things that he once held dear. The very achievements that he once held his head high because he had accomplished. He said, he now says they're all waste. They're all garbage. They're all trash. All dung. All of those things mean nothing to me. I count them as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus in comparison to those things is so much greater that it feels like garbage. I'll throw anything away to know Jesus. He's just that good, that sweet. I savor him that much in my soul. It's all trash compared to Jesus. They simply can't compare to the joy of knowing him and being found in his righteousness. Now there are like a million themes running through our passage this morning. We'll do our best to get our hands around just a couple as we read what's often been been called the pedigree of Paul. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. 
Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul's dealing with here again, what, what theologians in history call the Judaizers. We've talked about this before. Galatians as a whole deals with the Judaizers. The Judaizers were people who claimed to follow Jesus, but were pressuring Gentiles to be circumcised. They were saying, if you want to have Jesus as Messiah, then you must be circumcised, follow the law, follow the, the festivals. You must become a Jew in order to receive the Jewish Messiah. And Paul here is dealing again with who we call the Judaizers. And, and what Paul does in verse 2, he says, look out for the dogs. He calls the Judaizers first dogs. J.B. Lightfoot, um, a great theologian from the late 19th century, he says, the herds of dogs which prowl about eastern cities without a home and without an owner, feeding on the refuse and filth of the streets, quarreling among themselves and attacking the passerby. That explains the application of the image. Jews love to refer to Gentiles as dogs, as savages who roam the streets eating out of trash. But, but Paul here takes that insult and he flips it on the Judaizers. He said, no, you're the dogs. You're the ones who prowl the streets attacking the passerby. Paul calls the Judaizers evildoers. He says, you pressuring Gentile believers to submit to the law in order to have salvation is evil. You are evil doers. He then calls them mutilators of the flesh. There's no doubt here that he's referring to circumcision. He says they are fascinated with, obsessed with Gentiles circumcising the flesh. Paul says, no, we are the true circumcision who worship in spirit. Because circumcision was an outward sign of covenant. And God wasn't after and is not after outward signs of covenant. He's after inward covenant. He's after the covenant himself. And Paul says, no, they're so obsessed with mutilating your flesh. I'm obsessed with, with circumcising your heart. I'm obsessed with you actually walking in covenant relationship with God.
God's not after church clothes, church language. He's not after a certain style. He's after the heart of a man and the heart of a woman. Surrender, faith. Paul is saying to the Philippian church that there are these men who would pressure you to obey law in order to have Jesus. But I'm telling you that their pressuring is evil and that because they don't understand the gospel, that we are actually saved by grace because of Jesus. They are pressuring you into a system in which you will have to work in order to have salvation when you have to chase the proverbial carrot in order to have God. And they want to see you on that treadmill running. And the system itself is evil because what you'll start to do is you'll start to obey God in hopes of receiving salvation. And everything that you do in obedience to God is not actually about loving God. It's about you earning something. It's selfish in motivation. And so you will start to care for the widow, not because you love the widow, but because you're trying to earn something from God. You will start to tithe and give to missions, not because you really love the church and love the gospel and love the mission, but you'll tithe because you're trying to earn God's favor. Paul said they would love to entrap you in a system of condemnation, which says you must must do more in order to have God's favor. And Paul says, no, you don't have to do a stinking thing. Jesus did it all. And in Jesus' doing it all, you can actually be holy because of love and not holy because you're worried about your own salvation. Paul says, no, they have the entire thing wrong. We don't live constantly doing good works to try to earn salvation. We live sure that we have salvation because of Jesus. And we love first God and we love our community because he first loved us. I am able to serve my neighbor out of pure love for God and love for my neighbor because God has first loved me in the cross. The cross liberated me from the treadmill that never ends. The cross liberated me from chasing the carrot that dangled in front of my face. When I see someone hurting, I don't first think about my own salvation. I first think about God's love for me and my love for God and my love for that person and their value. And I can do righteous works out of love. That's the gospel for you. Paul says, don't submit to that system. It's ridiculous. True worshipers have received love in Jesus and are now able to give love because of Jesus. And holiness is a love thing. Holiness begins with love and ends with love. It cannot begin and end with you being concerned with your own salvation. That's what Jesus liberated us from. We can begin our holiness with love and end our holiness with love. This is the fulfillment of all the law, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says, if they put you on the treadmill, they've robbed you of love. So he says, we put no confidence in the flesh at all. Our confidence is in the cross We walk by the leading of the Spirit, obeying God out of pure thankfulness, pure joy, pure satisfaction in Jesus, glorying in Jesus.
We are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. These are the things by which the true circumcision cling to. First, those who are of the true circumcision, they glory in Christ Jesus. What does that mean to glory in Christ Jesus? That means to wake up in the morning and think to yourself, my God, he is good. That means to put your socks on and say, I don't deserve you. Like, what in the world? Why do you keep loving me so well? You're so good. It means that when you see someone hurting or in need, you think, my God, this is an opportunity to reflect Jesus. Glorying in Jesus. I'm obsessed with Jesus. I'm loving Jesus. The true circumcision are those who glory in Jesus and who worship in the, in the spirit, not just in the flesh. They don't just lift their hands or go through outward motions, but in the spirit, in the deepest part of them, they worship. And the true circumcision put no confidence in the flesh. That means the true circumcision is are people who do not embrace a gospel of works. They embrace a gospel of grace. Now, Paul's pedigree. If anyone has reason to have confidence in the flesh, I have more. First, I'm circumcised on the eighth day. Second, of the people of Israel. Third, of the tribe of Benjamin. Fourth, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Fifth, as to the law of Pharisee. Sixth, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. Seven, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul says to the Judaizers, if you'd like to compare resumes, I will put you to shame. You don't forget who you're talking to. Paul says no one, absolutely no one, upheld the outward aspects of the law to the extent that I upheld the outward aspects of the law. He says, I am blameless according to their tradition. If anyone has fulfilled legalistic standards, it's me, Paul says. And then he launches into his thoughts concerning his own pedigree. I count it as trash. As rubbish, as dung. I count it as loss. My long list of religious achievements are trash to me. Now consider again, Paul was trained under the Jewish scholar Gamaliel, who, who rabbis still quote today, was a profound teacher. Paul is brilliant. There's no question about that. He is bilingual, trilingual, multilingual. He has massage portions of scripture memorized. He's a philosopher. He can engage with Socrates and Plato. He does in the text. In the scriptures, he's engaging with philosophers. He's brilliant. He's trained. He's committed. Paul is on track to being a very, very prestigious leader in the Jewish community. He's got the right clothes. He prays the right prayers. Paul says it's trash. I threw away all of my past obedience. I threw away all my law abiding. I threw away my future spiritual persona. Right? 
Paul says, when I came to Jesus, I didn't just lose my sin. He didn't just wash me of my sin. I also lost my self-righteousness. I also lost my confidence in my personal works. Jesus' blood doesn't just wash me of all the stupid things I did in the past. It also washes me of all the self-righteous things I did in the past in hopes of looking spiritual and earning God's favor. So no man or woman in the kingdom of God carries themselves in a self-righteous manner. There is no self-righteousness in heaven. All good works that are honored in heaven were done out of pure love. Paul says, I am liberated from my long list of righteousness and I count it this morning as trash. Waste. Worthless. Paul says, I don't lay my head on the pillow at night and rest in my circumcision. I don't find peace in my ethnic heritage. I don't have intimacy with God because of my sect. I rest in the work of the Spirit. I rest in the cross of Jesus. Paul says, I am fearless as I stand in God's presence, not because of my pedigree, but because of Jesus, because of the righteousness of Christ, which was given to me when I put my faith in him. Paul says, I have spiritual peace, rest, joy, not because of my pedigree, but because of Jesus. Everything, Paul says, I've achieved according to the standards of those who would have you embrace circumcision, I count as loss. Paul says, I don't run that rat race. I am not on that treadmill. You could always do more, want more. Martin Luther said once that he continually preached against self-righteousness, but he wasn't sure that he ever got anywhere. He said, I preached long sermons rebuking people for their self-righteousness, and they'd come back next week boasting of their good works. Self-righteousness is finished. It was conquered at the cross. Our righteousness is the very righteousness of Jesus. I want to hit one more thing and then I'll, I'll tie this together for us that I think will help it to make sense, the whole context. <clears throat> Paul says, I count it all as loss that I might gain Christ. You cannot have Christ and have self-righteousness. You'll have to throw away your pedigree of all your spiritual good doings. To have Christ. You don't get to put your rest in your good works and have Jesus. Paul says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. If you are to know him in the power of his resurrection, you will have to be delivered of your self-righteousness. Share in his sufferings, become like him in death. In order to know Christ in the power of his Resurrection, you have to abandon all dependence on self. Self-righteousness is the thing that causes sinners to miss salvation. 
You cannot have Jesus and have your personal pedigree. It's why Mormonism is not the true gospel. And, and forgive me, I know that sounds, sounds harsh, but, but it's truth. And, and we love, and I'm being, I'm gonna get some stones thrown at me for this. We, we love to say, and it's so true that Mormons are the best neighbors, and it's true that Mormons are the best neighbors. It's because if they're not good neighbors, they think they're going to hell. If you don't run to your neighbor every time they need help, then you're not doing good works, and you've gotta be, they're on the treadmill, you gotta be on the treadmill. If you're not on the treadmill, then you're condemned. They, there's, there's a thought that you can have Jesus and you've got to have your good works. And Paul says, no one has Jesus and has good works. Worship team, go ahead and come and I'll start tying this together. This is what I want to say to you from this text this morning. The Philippian church had a group of religious men who, under the influence of evil, Paul calls it evil, condemns the church. There are Philippian men, Gentile men, who love Jesus with all their heart, really want to serve God. And then there is this group of religious men who say to these Jesus lovers, you have to be circumcised if you really want to have Jesus. You don't really have him. They say to these Gentiles, you don't really have Christ because you don't obey the law. You don't do enough to have Jesus. And it's the voice of condemnation that's in every generation. And the enemy still whispers that to us. You got to do more. You're not doing enough. And there are many false religions and sects around here who would love to knock on your door and tell you that you're not doing enough to have Jesus. There are always religious people who operate under a system of religion which says that the only way God will ever love you is if you do more. And Paul says, no, God loves you because Jesus did more than enough. So this morning, I want to I want to say to you, as we've for the last couple, several weeks, I feel like we've talked about I feel like there's been a conviction of the spirit in the room. And we've talked a lot about sin and about dealing with our sin. And, and we do need to deal with our sin. But you don't hear from me. You don't hear me saying God doesn't love you unless you do more. That's a voice of condemnation. I'm saying deal with your sin because God loves you so much and you need to love God more. Not because you don't have Jesus. There is a religious spirit that wants to cripple you by fear. It's exactly what Paul meant when he said that you have not been given a spirit of slavery, of fear, but you've been given a spirit of sonship. The spirit of slavery is slavery to a system that feels like you've got to do more in order for God to love you. And, God, and Paul says, no, you haven't been given that spirit of slavery. You've been given the spirit of sonship. Which says, God, I, I, I know that dad loves me. One 
one of my girls was being bad this week, being real bad. And I, and I had to discipline, you know, you do the discipline thing. I did the discipline thing. And, and the oldest, well, I guess I gave it away there. The oldest says, um, it wasn't, it wasn't the oldest. The oldest said, um, after I got done doing the discipline thing and hugging and okay, we, we learned. She said, dad, you got to go apologize now. And I said, for what? I didn't do anything. <laughs> what am I apologizing for? And she said, um, well, anyway, she said, she said, when mom gets mad, she apologizes. And I said, that's not mad. I'm not mad. I said, I'm not mad. Do you think we're mad when we discipline you? We discipline because we love. Because we want, we want better for you. And, and, and you need to know this as we're walking in a season where God's convicting us. God's not mad. He doesn't convict you because, he's, because he doesn't love you. He convicts you because he loves you. That's what fathers do. And if you hear conviction as condemnation, you'll be crippled in your spiritual walk forever. If every time the voice of the Spirit settles on the congregation and God starts talking to us about our sin and our need for holiness, if what you hear is God doesn't love you because you're not doing enough, you'll be crippled for all of your spiritual life. I feel like this morning there are some of us who have heard the voice of condemnation and I want to stand with Paul this morning and say, we count everything as rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. No one here keeps a pedigree. We're not trying to earn God's favor. We have God's favor. We're just trying to love people and love God better. And if you've heard the enemy whisper in your ear, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, I want to tell you this morning, it's a lie. It's a lie, man. You could never do enough. You think for a minute you've got enough in you to do enough to earn salvation. You're, Golly, I want to pop you in the head if you think that. You could never do enough. Rest in what Jesus has done. We have got to be a people who pursue holiness, not because we've submitted to the demonic voice of condemnation. There is a way to pursue holiness out of fear of God. Pursue holiness out of intimidation. If I don't do more, then God won't love me. I've got to be holy or God doesn't love me. There is a way to pursue holiness out of fear. And Paul says that kind of pursuit of holiness is actually evil. What they're trying to make you do is evil. They're trying to make you pursue outward righteousness out of an attempt to earn God's love. Paul says that is evil. You pursue righteousness out of your own desire to love God and to love people. You are liberated from that pursuit. At the cross, that pursuit was finished. It is finished. You no longer earn God's favor. You just revel in it. We are the true circumcision who glory in Christ. We are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit. The true circumcision puts no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in their own works. All confidence in the cross of Jesus. Every confidence in the cross of Jesus. Thank you for listening to this Sunday sermon. Subscribe to our podcast for new messages weekly. Visit ChristianRenewalHHI.org for more resources. We hope you have a blessed week.